Warning. This podcast you are about to hear contains excessive puns about tiny things and may not be suitable for persons sensitive to cheap jokes. Listener discretion is advised. Good afternoon, passengers. This is your captain speaking. I'd like to welcome everyone aboard this podcast. We are currently cruising at an altitude of 35,000 feet, an airspeed of 450 miles per hour. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome aboard Pilot Error. I'm Tom Feeney, writer for Wings Chop Movie Magazine. You may know me from such podcasts as The Deep Dive Podcast, The Deep Dive Microcast, and Mysteries of the Deep. There's a theme there. If I were to tell you that the beginning of this podcast dealt with the political and corporate intricacies of the deregulation of broadcast television by the Reagan administration during the 1980s, well, I wouldn't blame you for shutting this down right now. I mean, that would be like making a Star Wars movie centered around a dispute over the taxation of trade routes, which resulted in a blockade that sparked a separatist movement and civil war. Ridiculous, right? We would never do anything without the approval of the Senate. Yeah, okay. So before you switch to some other far more popular podcast, allow me 30 seconds to briefly talk about television deregulation as it pertains to this podcast. Let's put 30 seconds on the clock and go. Before 1984, the Federal Communications Commission limited the total number of broadcast stations which a single entity could own. Under the so-called seven-station rule, no company could own more than seven TV stations. In 1984, the FCC removed that restriction. Today, there is no limit to the number of TV stations a single entity may own nationwide as long as those stations collectively reach less than 39% of all U.S. households. Why does this matter? Well, with more television stations popping up all over the country, not to mention more cable channels dotting the digital landscape, the need for more programming became critical. And those new outlets were willing to air programs that pushed the boundaries in terms of both content and even budget. Boundaries that the major broadcast networks were unwilling to cross. In the late 80s, the networks were moving away from expensive hour-long dramas in favor of cheaper sitcoms and game shows. This left the market wide open for syndicated shows to fill the empty space. Oh, and speaking of space... Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Star Trek The Next Generation premiered in first-run syndication during the fall of 1987 and was an immediate financial, if not critical, at first, 
success. This happened despite the show's hefty price tag of around $1.5 million per episode. So, okay, what does first-run syndication mean? All right, give me another 30 seconds on the clock, and go. First-run syndication refers to the first time a program airs on television. Each new episode will be broadcast for the first time, and the show is not restricted to airing on only one network. These shows primarily air on the same channel each time for the first time, but then can be aired by affiliates and other networks during reruns. Oh, I'm on a roll. <laughs> now, if you're still with me, after all that, let's get to the meat and potatoes. Viewers' enthusiastic embrace of the new Star Trek series spawned a number of science fiction and fantasy series, hoping to piggyback on Trek's return to television. Some were more successful than others, like Babylon 5, Stargate SG-1, Sliders, and Farscape. But there were a lot of clunkers, too. For every Xena Warrior Princess, there was a Beastmaster. For every Buffy the Vampire Slayer, there was a Space Precinct. The networks themselves were not immune and threw together some pretty terrible sci-fi programs to try to capitalize on the renewed interest. That, my friends, is how we wound up with Microcops. In the far reaches of our galaxy live the Ickians, a race of people dedicated to ensuring peace and order throughout the regions of space. To secure their objectives, their police force vigilantly monitors the galaxies, patrolling for criminals who threaten the harmony of their planet and the known universe. Yes, genre fans, we've had Robocops, Time Cops, and even Samurai Cops. But now, we've got Microcops. And because you know what this particular podcast deals with, you can rightfully assume that the reason you've never heard of Microcops is that its development was arrested. You get it, cops arrested. Microcops' short lifespan began at the Tiffany Network, CBS. As a clear response to the proliferation of new sci-fi and fantasy shows, Microcops was the brainchild of writer-producer Chip Prozer, who in 1987 wrote the screenplay for another little project called Inner Space. Steven Spielberg presents Inner Space, when test pilot Tuck Pendleton gets miniaturized and injected into Jack Butter. I'm possessed! Together, they'll launch the summer's wildest adventure. Try to stay calm, Jack! Kicking more cows! Jack Butter to the rescue! Dennis Quaid, Martin Short, Inner Space, directed by Joe Dante, rated PG. Starts Wednesday, July 1st at a theater near you. The success of Inner Space gave Proser the opportunity to further explore the themes he introduced in that film, albeit on a much smaller scale. So what exactly is Microcops all about? In a nutshell, these are two teeny tiny humanoid alien police officers 
Vidra and Nardo. Not kidding. And they are hunting down an eensy-weensy Joker-esque psychopath, and they track the villain to 1989 Earth. Here's a little taste from the show's opening minutes. It's widening the range. What about the scanner? We don't have probable cause. Look, I don't care what you learn at the academy. When you fly with me, you fly by my rules. Check the scanner. Hot wire stolen from Hive Corps. There's your probable cause. Okay, smart guy, this is Captains Nardo and Bidra. Systems police. Drop your shields and idle your systems. Any idea on this, Nurk? Big time. Cloyd Mavic's 15 priors. Inciting to upset order, huh? conspiracy to interfere with personal boredom, inciting hilarity. <laughs> Broke out of dregs two days ago, considered a serious threat to hive stability. He's mental. Okay, Cloyd, we know you're a chaos junkie. And let me see. You feel rather humble in my presence. I have this guy. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in a hive court. You have the right to counsel. You have the right to blow in my socks. Hey, wait, what is this stuff? He's interfering with our data link. <laughs> and now, Cloyd, would you please read them their rights? Why, I'd be happy to, Cloyd. You have the right to be stupid little police and ride a piece of government job. You also have the right to chase me all over the known universe, but you do not have a right to interfere with my fun. I know, I know, with dialogue like that, it's amazing this show had such a uh, short lifespan. So these two micro-cops land on Earth and they find their way inside a science lab. And there they encounter a scientist, you know, played by the late great actor Peter Scolari. Now, if you recall, he was the bosom buddy who was not Tom Hanks. The two pint-sized police officers enlist the scientist's help in tracking down their suspect. Uh, what are you doing to my screen? <laughs> Everybody's gotta be somewhere. <clears throat> I'm Captain Beedra, Systems Police. This is my partner, Captain Nardo. I'm sorry we need to use your data stream for a while. Do you mind? My formulas! Don't worry, we saved that junk. All right, look, kids, I want you out of my database now, or I'm going to report it. How did you do that? Look, I'm serious. We're from... Keep it simple. Outer space. All right, look, party's over, that's it. I want you to shut down now or I call someone. Dare I say it? Look, just take us to your leader. What for? Your planet's in danger, we have to move fast. Then you don't want him. These two diminutive detectives manage to hitch rides on all manner of things. Dogs, birds, people, you get it. So do the micro-cops get there, little man? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it took me a few tries to get through the show, honestly. Special effects in micro-cops are generously described as unpolished. Uh, according to the credits, the effects were done by George Lucas's Industrial Light and Magic. However, it looked more like they were done by Fred Lucas's Industrial Heating and Plumbing. And the hair and the costumes look like the entirety of the 1980s threw up all over it. Eagle-eyed viewers could easily spot the rental props used on the spaceship set. Dialogue is bad, the acting is bad, even the premise is bad. Everyone looks embarrassed to be there. 
And you might wonder, how did this sad little show get on the air even once? Three little words. CBS Summer Playhouse. Summer vacation just wouldn't be the same without your personal invitation to Television City in Hollywood for the CBS Summer Playhouse. During the next hour, share with us a world television premiere chosen especially for your family's viewing enjoyment. So grab a seat, butter the popcorn, lean back and relax, because here comes the CBS Summer Playhouse. Okay, remember that title. You'll probably hear it on future editions of Pilot Air. On the air for three seasons during the summers of 1987 to 1989, CBS Summer Playhouse was more of a clearinghouse for unsold pilots and a way to fill airtime during summer months that were mostly taken up by reruns. The anthology series was hosted by actors Tim Reed from classic sitcom WKRP in Cincinnati and his wife, Daphne Maxwell Reed, best known for portraying Vivian Banks on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. There was also a toll-free 800 number, remember those? To vote for their favorite episodes. So viewers could call in and vote which ones they liked the best. Of course, that never mattered anyway, since if the shows were any good in the first place, they'd have been picked up as a series. And yes, Microcops was featured on CBS Summer Playhouse as the first pilot shown during season three. Playhouse was a treasure trove of unsold pilots and a well we'll be going back to again and again. If you are so inclined, and after I hyped it up so much, how could you not be? You can watch Microcops right now for free on YouTube. Yes, the show is awful. But watching it is a small price to pay. And aren't you just a little curious? Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast has just been cleared to land. As we start our descent, please make sure your seat backs and tray tables are in their full upright position. Make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened and all carry-on luggage is stowed underneath the seat in front of you or in the overhead bins. We hope you had a safe and enjoyable listening experience. If you have any comments, go to the Deep Dive Podcast at gmail.com and drop us a line. Any clips used in the podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on any existing copyrights. And thanks for flying an Automaton Studios production.